Welcome to the Global Business School Network podcast. I'm Rob Vember. As the world slowly emerges from a global shutdown and we learn to adjust to a world with COVID-19, we turn our attention with an even more keen interest to the future, specifically the future of work, the future of jobs. The task of universities and business schools is, after all, to prepare graduates for jobs that do not yet exist. These jobs of the future are being created right now by leading businesses worldwide. With this in mind, GBSN and Corn Ferry have partnered to deliver a series of conversations with business leaders who are catalyzing innovation. These include chief strategy and innovation officers and other C-suite executives working where industries and ecosystems are intersecting in spectacular ways to generate the jobs of the future. These conversations will be designed for a global audience of business students and alumni, as well as the staff and faculty who are helping them navigate careers in a rapidly changing world. The following conversation, moderated by GBSN CEO Dan LeClaire, is all about the workforce of the future. Now, in business schools, we often uh, say it's our responsibility to prepare students for the jobs that don't yet exist. We're admitting that for a variety of reasons, technology being among the most important, that the industries and the jobs are constantly being invented and reinvented in, in unexpected ways, and that the innovations happening now will have profound implications for the careers of our students, not only as, as we say, takers of jobs, but also as creators of jobs throughout their careers, where industries and ecosystems are intersecting in meaningful ways, often in spectacular ways, and generating the jobs of the future. And in fact, if, if Peter Drucker says the best way to predict the future is to create it, what we're saying is the next best way is to learn from the people who are creating the future of jobs. So when it comes to looking for the best people, where do you go? You go to Corn Ferry. And there's, there's no better place to start than Corn Ferry, global leader in organizational consulting and executive search, and our collaborators for this series of, of conversations about the jobs of the future. I'm Dan LeClaire. I'm CEO of the Global Business School Network, a network of now nearly 130 uh, business schools in more than 50 countries, focused on improving access to quality locally relevant management education and emerging economies. And this is the first session. I'm, I'm pleased to welcome you to the first session of the series of conversations about the jobs that don't yet exist. For the series launch, we're privileged to welcome two special guests, not just one, but two special guests who are helping organizations to build the workforces of the future and also helping us at GBSN to identify and connect with the right people to speak with. Grace Chu, 
Grace Chu builds the corporate development and talent management programs for boards and executive committees. And she specializes in C-level and board searches that shape the future of the metaphysical world. And by that, we're really focused on where hardware meets software, both, uh, well, if, with air, land, and space. I think we'll have a chance perhaps to talk a little bit about that, as well as in the software industry and new energy. Lisa Harrison is a client partner in Corn Ferry's advisory practice, helping clients who are shaping the workforce of the, of the future. She has more than 20 years of experience in organizational consulting and operates across a variety of industries, but has a special affiliation with the healthcare industry and helping companies to build uh, world-class human capital functions in healthcare. Now we're gonna jump right in because we have only 30 minutes. I encourage you to post your comments and questions in the chat as we go, but, but Grace, it's been a pleasure to follow your work at, at Corn Ferry, but we've known each other for many years, even prior to that, uh, going all the way back to Singapore and your work with Ipsos. And it's been uh, great to have these periodic conversations about your, your pioneering work. Um, but I wanna ask you just to get us started with an introduction. What does our series topic, the jobs that don't yet exist, what does it mean to a global leader in organizational consulting like Corn Ferry? Thank you so much, Dan, for the kind introduction. And hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for joining us. So the reason why Dan and I started this series is because through our interactions, we see many trends that are happening in the world with the clients that we work with. For example, if you think about the future of mobility, it used to be cars and aeroplanes, but now we're thinking about autonomous driving, we're thinking about robot taxis, we are thinking about electric vertical takeoff and landing. In the energy space, we see things like hydrogen, battery storage, companies that are making the transition from the past to the future. In the healthcare sector as well, digital transformation. What does that mean to companies like uh, Kaiser Permanente, like Cigna, et cetera? Lisa and myself, we had the opportunity to help some of these companies through the transition, identifying some of the capabilities that they were lacking and um, how to fill these gaps, which are the top roles that would make a big difference to the future of these companies. Through this process, we have gotten an insight to what matters right, and what we can prepare our students for for the future, because there is a gap in the workforce. I'll share a statistic with you. In cybersecurity, apparently every, for every 10 jobs, nine of them go unfilled. What if we could get our students to think about cybersecurity? And this, by the way, reflects in compensation, right? It's all a game of demand and supply. The same for software engineering. The same for people who are commercializing software business models. Right? So coming from a business school myself, I had the, uh, a great opportunity to interact with career services as well as my professors and learning about many different industries. But what if we, we narrowed that information gap? through the, this series. So this is the genesis of um, you know, this uh, you know, several part series that Dan and I will be organizing with the GSBN team. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, thank you so much, Grace. Lisa, uh, you know, to get us started, we're gonna uh, continue to address uh, what we discussed earlier, these seven trends. But before we get into that, we, we should talk about the massive elephant in the room, like the last 24 months, 
right? Can you give us a, a high level and quick bulleted version of, of what happened and what are the implications that you've seen over the last uh, 24 months? You know, Day, uh, Dan, thank you so much. Um, really what it boils down to is there's one fact that's really clear here and that's that power has shifted. And what do we mean by that? Really it's, we went from organizations to people and really from profit to that mutual prosperity and from me to we. And when we say we, what we really mean by that is inclusivity, inclusion. So as organizations, as uh, business leaders, as students, it's really going to be critical that you need to be thinking about um, organizations are only as good as their employees. And so as we think about that, in order to survive and, and really survive and, th and thrive, it's really about how do you embrace the future and really think about making work work for everyone. And so with that, Dan, there's really uh, seven key trends that uh, that uh, Corn Ferry has um, has identified that are really the trends uh, trends of the future. And so you see them here. We've got the reinvention and thinking about redesigning to to really stay relevant. And we've got scarcity. So surviving the big quit. We know the great resignation is here today. We're seeing it across the news, uh, and organizations are feeling this. Uh, vitality, uh, really thinking about how do organizations and employees and people themselves really beat the burnout and, and uh, that they're experiencing today. Sustainability, thinking about shaping the, the, the future and how do we work smarter, not harder. Uh, individuality, you know, making business really personal and, and uh, to the core around and connecting to what we really do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and what, are, what is really going to be meaningful and, and thrive today. Inclusivity, so really thinking about how do we unleash the power of all and thinking about we all have great things that we can that we bring to the table. What is it that that's really going to connect us to one another and think about that inclusive inclusivity for all and then accountability. So really standing by by what you do and doing what you say, but we're really going to just focus on um, a couple of these today, Dan, uh, and uh, my partner here, Grace, um, we're going to go through as she shared some of the, the key things that we're seeing um, in the marketplace today as it relates to jobs and, organ and organizational capabilities that are needed for the future, and really go from there. All right, thank you, Lisa. This is, this is great. I don't know if you, uh, Grace and Lisa, have been uh, looking at the chat as we speak, but you'll notice that there, there is a, a rather internationally diverse group that's come to join us. And even in the last few postings on the chat, we've seen um, people from Greece, Portugal, uh, we're looking at uh, um, Malaysia, South Africa, the UK, um, Lithuania, I, I think, Colombia. So as you go through this and you think about the kinds of things that you're doing, I'd love to explore this international diversity with you. But let's start, well, let's start at the, at the beginning. We'll, we'll have a conversation. We'll jump around with these seven trends. But with this reinvention, you know, I used to do a little game, I guess, when I was a professor with uh, my students, I used to try to mash things up a little bit, right? We used to take seemingly unrelated things and bring them together and see and discuss what happens. And 
If you could tell us a little bit about how these mashups are happening, because this is a big driver, as Grace mentioned in the introduction, about the, the kinds of jobs that are being created for the future. Absolutely. And so let's go ahead and, and, and just dive right in. And so so when, as we kind of think about this, you know, when we think about the mashup and that and the reinvention, there are really, I think, some key areas here for um, for action that you know organizations as well as employees are really looking at. And so thinking about you know how are organizations really being creative and intentional around you know finding and developing really what are those hot skills today. Thinking about you know hybrid and work and remote models, you know, being um, a global organization. I think this is really, you know, critical even for the school, for the, the business school, as you think about this, Dan, you know, gone are the days where you had to, you know, go into the office every single day. It's really more now around um, what are those, the right um, hybrid or re remote work models um, that are going to be really critical for going forward. I liken it to um, organizations as well as employees now have a choice, but we go from fishing into a, in a pond to fishing in an ocean as we think about that. And that really ties to that talent scarcity that we're seeing, but also how work is being performed and what organizations are really are really doing going forward. There's tremendous seismic shifts that are happening um, when organizations are thinking about um, roles and thinking about value management um, and what that looks like going forward. You know, as we think about this, you know, companies are really getting more creative and intentional as we think about what, what are those hot skills as we go forward. Um, and, you know, as we think about that, you know, it's, it's interesting as we think about this, 69% of the world's most admired companies hire their talent based on learning agility and curiosity. While that work, while instead of career history, while career history is really important, right? Garnering those skills and experiences are critical. I think what's what we're finding here though is that learning agility and that curiosity, asking questions is going to be really critical going forward. And you can see here, and, and Grace has, I think, some really great examples as we look to go forward in relation to what are some of those hottest jobs that we're seeing in the marketplace today? IT specialists, engineers, clinical workers, educators, digital marketers, recruiters. Grace, is there anything you'd want to add to that in relation to um, what we're seeing, what you're seeing in the marketplace today? Yeah, Lisa, thank you. And I think another thing to add is data science, right? So across all, if you think about the different um, functions of each organization from finance, HR, operations, supply chain, you talk about uh, marketing, right? At the core of every single function today, it's data science. Look at all the job specs that you'd see on say, uh, LinkedIn jobs, right? They're hiring people for the future, not of the past. And um, in terms of uh, learning agility that Lisa pointed to, it's also a lot about growth mindset. In some of the profiles that I will be showing to you later, um, I've had the chance to interact with most of these uh, individuals. And what stood out for me is that they were very open to learn and they have this mindset where, hey, you know what? I don't know much about this, but I can leverage what I've already built, what I've the knowledge I've already built through my previous experience to bring it to the next company. It's what we call a next practice, right? A best practice in an industry that could become a next practice in another. So with that, we'll hand the time back to you, Lisa. 
Great. Thanks, Grace. I think it's, I think what, he, you know, just building upon, you know, when we think about what are some of those key skills um, and capabilities as we're looking forward, um, we've done a, 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 a bit of a research in relation to this space. Um, and what we're finding are, um, here's just a couple of examples of some really strategic and significant roles as we look to go forward. And it builds upon what Grace is saying around that data science piece. But you'll see here um, the role that data curator Right, and so now is this going to be a role that you'll see and if you were to go out and look at job postings and, and you know, look at that, not specifically, um, but what we're calling this is, is these are individuals. So if you can imagine yourself, right, and you're thinking about where you're at in your, in your space and, and you're learning and you're growing um, as a student, and even as a business leader, these are really individuals who can take the, the large amounts of data um, and really analyze it for those key trends, information, and apply it to those really unique business challenges and explain how to improve results as a result of the, of the information learned. So you can see on the right side there, what are some of those key attributes and, and, and responsibilities? Um, I think the what's important here in, in thinking about the data scientists, um, the, the data curators, um, is thinking about, you know, how do you take an, uh, the data and then how do you derive the insights and the implications from it? And what we're finding in, in, the, in, the, in this space today in working with organizations is that is a real challenge that organizations have. So as you think about um, your career and you think about how do you set yourself apart is having that ability to really be able to derive those insights um, and, and report on it, as well as then really understand, okay, what are the impl implications of this um, for the organization on quality? You know, what are the intersection points are gonna be really important? I think the next one is also another really um, critical one as well is you think about that um, consumer ethnographers Right, and so we call it. We think about this as a as a really diverse individual who has unique insights to really um, to a community um, that's requiring improving consumer experience. You know, from a health system or a payer, or you think about um, the the uh, retail space, whatever it may be. But this must person must have credibility in the community and the ability to align the community needs and products and service offerings to the organization. What we're finding is, is that this is a, a really critical role as you think about experience, you think about social equity within um, and building really that, that sense of community um, within which um, you serve. And this is really understanding and having a deep understanding of those consumer segments based on you know, various different um, diversity, um, um, components of diversity. So again, thinking about that you know, from, um, from that lens is going to be important. Grace, anything you would, you would add here? Thoughts? Yeah, Lisa, you know, I think these points are extremely relevant in today's world, right? And uh, maybe I want to zoom in on the last point, business process and model rethink, right? Um, and one of the profiles that I'll show you later, it's customer service, right? Customer service has, has, has had a reputation for not being the you know, sexiest job in the world, right? It's kind of a thankless job, right? People call you only to complain. But now organizations are flipping this around, right? With this consumer-centric model where, you know, before you even call some of these companies and you're dialing uh, their number, the phone is ringing on their end. Imagine that they have your phone number. They already can pull up your profile, right? For example, iRobot does that. 
right? So companies are thinking about um, their business process and model, right? Not just to reduce burnout, right? To uh, increase their margins, right? By reducing costs, but also thinking about, hey, you know, this is also about top line growth, right? So this consumer centricity is, is playing out in many of these roles. And then for data, of course, it's, uh, you know, very, very applicable to every single role that we work on these days, right? From the CEO to the HR manager, to the finance operator, now, every single organization is now being forced to think about data and its impact. And as Lisa rightly mentioned, it's not just data for the sake of data, but what is the insight that you get from that? And that's a, a lot of, uh, it, oftentimes, the struggle. Can I uh, interject, Lisa and Grace? It, you know, one of the things that strikes me with this conversation is that uh, at, at times in business schools, we often talk about the poets and the and, and the quants as if they're different people. And it sounds to me like moving forward, many of us have to be both, right? We have to be both um, uh, literate and, and widely read and, and articulate, but we also need to be um, uh, at least competent, perhaps excelling with data and with uh, uh, quantitative methods. But I want to, this is a good time since Grace, you brought up the, the customer service. There's a question from Almira in the, in the chat about what's happening to company size, company sizes, but she goes on and, and, and asks about, um, are these uh, companies growing um, with these new roles or are they coming at the expense of old jobs? And, and in particular, is it driven a lot by this um, AI and automation? <laughs> you know, it, speaking of customer service, right? I don't remember the last time I called in and actually spoke to a person. Can you tell, talk to us a little bit about where you see jobs actually disappearing, not just uh, being created? And Grace, can, how about, can I jump in and take um, this one to start with and then I'll turn it over to you for thoughts? Absolutely, go ahead, Lisa. Great. I'm actually, uh, that's a great question. And thank you um, for posing that. You know, what we're seeing across the industry right now is, is um, in working with a number of organizations around what, what's being called the digital transformation. And so to the exact point around how is AI, machine learning, um, et cetera, really impacting the work and impacting what used to be jobs more administrative type tasks, roles, and how, how is technology then being leveraged to then be able to, um, to essentially um, do those, what I'll call those more administrative tasks and roles. And so Dan, the point is, is here is, is that yes, skills are being, uh, employees are needing to be upskilled. So there are, so when we think about, you know, those administrative, um, more administrative tasks, um, yes, they are being automated by machine learning, AI, et cetera. Um, and so that's, I think, where it comes into play around where we're finding organizations are needing to really upskill in, in relation to more advisory services. So yes, they want to have that still that human intentional touch, um, but it's going to be the key word there is intentional. And so, you know, and when people, when you do actually talk to someone on the phone um, and, or even in a bot type setting, it is going to be more from a, a consultative lens and perspective. Um, and even from a sales perspective and thinking about sales, it's coming more from a consultative or advising 
perspective. Hence where the data comes in really important because you have to be able to derive the insights and the implications from the data to be then that consultant and be that advisor to um, that, that consumer that you're speaking with. That's really, really great, right? And, and uh, from an industry level, I think uh, the answer to that question as well as it depends, right? And which industry we're talking about. The most automation we have seen is in the industrial world, right? So for example, you know, the role of the forklift operator. I mean, imagine, I mean, why can't a machine do that, right? It's low value, low skill, right? So we are seeing these kinds of jobs disappear. Now the question is, what do you do with these guys then? Right. As Lisa said, we upskill them, you know, they learn something about um, coding, right? They become software engineers or not. Maybe they take on another role. Um, Lisa's team, they do a lot of work around job similarities, right? So moving from a customer service uh, operator to maybe a marketing professional. Right? These are some of the jobs that uh, have very transferable skills. Uh, in several sectors, we're seeing, uh, you know, it, it also depends on the function, right? So if you think about the agriculture industry, and uh, we work with some agriculture technology clients. We think about farmers and knowing that, hey, we've run out of feed, right? Like for our cows and our hogs. Uh, now, what did they used to do? They used to take a drum and hit it on the feed bin and they would guess, oh, okay, we must be running 20% low. Now with hardware and software combined, right? The farmers now have access to tools like data analytics, like telling them that, hey, it's time for an order. And guess what? The machine automates this order. Right. So it doesn't just remove jobs, it improves the, the, the task efficiency, right? So the farmers can then spend their time on other tasks as opposed to thinking about whether their feed is running low and when they should be ordering these things. Um, in, in some cases, for example, our industry, especially in uh, you know, industries that require a human touch, like hospitality, HR, uh, you know, we're not seeing, we're seeing data and analytics, artificial intelligence as smarter ways to operate. Right, the access to data that we get, it's uh, helping us in being more efficient and being better uh, consultants to our clients. Right, but uh, as of now, you know, we think we're here to stay. <laughs> and maybe in five years time, you know, the situation could be different. Um, yeah, but I, I think you know, the answer is it depends on which industry. Some industries are going faster than the others. Well, let's stick with the chat if we can, because I, I know if we go back to those seven trends, there's a, there's a lot in there about, um, as you put it, Lisa, the big quit, the great resignation, <laughs> talked a, a, a great deal about um, uh, inclusivity, personalization and individuality. And all of this is related to this motivation. Um, could you talk with us uh, in response to this question in the chat uh, from uh, Berute? Um, how do you see the transformation of employee motivation related to work package? I think what we're seeing here with this, um, Dan, and that's a great question, is it's all about choice. So it's a combination. And when you think about these trends, it's a combination of many of them. Um, but I think what we see here um, with employers, but as well as with um, as well as with employees and students, is the bottom line is you have a choice. And so as you're thinking about going forward and what I counsel um, organizations on is what's your value proposition? So as you think about what is it that, what's the bill of goods that you are selling to an employee, 
right? And what are, what are you really delivering on? So culture plays a big part in this. And, and then on the flip, so as an organization, working with them around what is it the culture of today and then the culture of tomorrow that you're trying, that you're trying to really um, um, produce here. But then also thinking about, um, you know, as a student is thinking through what is it that you value most. So as you think about these work trends and you think about inclusivity, you think about individuality, sustainability, what is it that you really value as a person and what's going to be a really great fit for you? Because ultimately we all have choices around where we can land today and where in the direction that we want to go and the journey we want to go on. I think that, you know, it's all about, you know, for me, how do we just, how do we make sure that, um, that we're really creating the right match, right, from an employer to an employee? Grace? Yeah, and it, as Lisa said, it's all about choice, right? And this is a change, change scenario. In every change scenario, you get about 40% who are going to be on your side, right? They're going to go with the change because they feel that they want to be part of it. Now, there'll always be that 50% that's sitting on the fence, Right, so it's then the scale of the leader. And this, by the way, applies to vaccination too. Right? If you see the data in each of uh, the countries in the world, like 40% were on board at an early stage, 50% sat on the fence and waited. Right? They waited to see if any of their peers you know, suffered from the vaccine right? or maybe even you know, died. That's a bigger sphere. Right? And then the 10% would always say, hey, you know what? We're not doing this. Right? That's where you see attrition. Yeah, or they'll sit it on the company and then at some point they will either move in terms of roles within the company or they'll leave. Right? So I think this applies to every change scenario uh, as we see the jobs changing as well. Right? Uh, and, and then it's also, uh, again, the, the leaders, right? how are they creating a low risk for the employees to be able to raise their hand, that 50% to say, hey, we're coming with you. You know, I often hear in some conversations I have with, with companies, um, much more often, it seems today, just like we talk about customer experience, we're often talking about uh, employee experience, right? It's this, you know, how do we um, create environments in which the experience of employees, and this is something that's emphasized throughout, how do we um, builds uh, unique experience that are, are, are tailored to the, the needs and wants of individuals? And how do we capture that in moving jobs forward? I think this, this is very uh, interesting, the types of questions that we're seeing uh, popping in. But I want to I'm going to play off this uh, for a bit. And Lisa, I want to give you a chance to, to um, talk a little bit about the profiles with Grace, you know, because we, we talked about these, these seven trends. And I want to um, give you the space to do that before we, we uh, close out with a question that'll come back to Angus. Um, uh, we're going to try to draw this back to the individual in the school in response to Angus's question. But before we do that, let's, let's talk about these profiles. Thank you, Dan. So today I bring a profile, uh, Jane Smith. Right, if you think, let's look at 10 years ago in 2010. So Jane was at Apple overseeing watch operations. So really the procurement of uh, different parts for the watch at Apple. Now, Waymo, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Waymo. Waymo is a self-driving uh, company. They create a software stack that can be embedded into cars. 
so that they become robo taxis. This was a spin-off from Google. Right, so if you think about Apple versus Waymo, they're almost uh, exact opposites. Right, Apple is all about volume, high volume, low mix, and Waymo is all about low, um, low volume, high mix. Right, but when you, if you think about the skills about the of, of Jane that she learned at Apple, right, creating the future of mobility, right, mobility because the Apple Watch could connect to different devices. Right, um, influencing and negotiating of suppliers, co-creation for Apple, they're creating something new, right? That didn't exist. They had to work with suppliers to say, hey, we're thinking about this. Can you be partnering with us to co-create? It's an ecosystem play. It's all about partnerships. Right? And it's the same at Waymo. When you're, when you're creating something new that's a robo-taxi right, with the software that doesn't exist and the hardware components that make that happen, Right. Now, what is the, the delta is the software and hardware understanding, right? You need to have some kind of technical understanding, which is so important in each industry vertical. And agility, right? So Jane is extremely agile, right? Comes with a growth mindset, like, hey, you know what? I'm not afraid. I don't know this, but I'm not afraid to learn. Right? As jobs change all the time, right? Increasingly so with this disruption in the industry. You know, to reinvent, it's about thinking about um, best practices that become a next practice, right? Mobility in the Apple Watch context that become a next practice at Waymo, right? using the, a different lens to look at problems. Now, the next profile, we'll go on to the next one. Uh, I was going to talk about, uh, actually, let's go back one slide, Lisa. Thank you. To talk about the mobility industry. All right, at business school, I don't know about you, but what, what I learned about was... Um, I remember the classic case study of partnerships, joint ventures. It was Nissan and I think it was Mitsubishi. Right? So coming out of business school, I knew about Nissan, I knew about Ford, Toyota. But the industry is so much bigger than that. Right? So this is where you know, business schools you know, need to be exposing students. Right? It's a platform to reduce that, uh, or rather to increase information transparency to say, hey, you know what? There are other companies besides the automotive OEMs, right? Like autonomous driving companies, autonomous logistics, autonomous trucking companies, electric vehicles, and even on the right-hand side, urban mobility, right? The Ubers, the Lyfts, the Vias of the world, and EV tall companies, electric vertical takeoff and landing. And if you think about then, you know, the uh, compensation levels, right? We see those on the left actually getting a lot higher compensated than those on the right or in the middle. When you think about the companies in the middle, they are the more traditional ones, right? So that is something to say as well about where the industry is moving. So the next profile is about sustainability, right? So uh, the topic that we discuss a lot at the firm these days is ESG, environment, society, and governance, organizations that are trying to impact society, especially through climate change. When you think about the new energy sources, battery storage and supply chain. It is so valuable to organizations to now attract talent who know something about battery storage. Right? And what is important about battery storage as well that Lisa and I learned is the software that comes with it. Right? So there's a question that I saw in the chat. It's how to best introduce these next horizon capabilities at the school level. Right? I don't know if this is uh, counterintuitive, but what if every single business school student came out of business school and knew uh, had, you know, uh, at least a high level understanding of what AI is, right, data science is, and what it could do for organizations, 
or even at the CEO level, we're seeing uh, top teams now seek digital fluency right, to be knowledgeable about these topics to talk to their employees about it. Right, because if they're leading the change, they need to know something about that. Right, and then ecosystem and partnerships in the hydrogen world, we know that it's not just you, right? It's about financing, it's about governments, it's about your suppliers for different parts of the hydrogen ecosystem, it's about your customers. Right, and it's an investment by all of these uh, parts of the ecosystem to make it happen. Okay. And then software, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a big, has a big part to play in energy. If you think about the um, disruptions that happened in, in America because of cybersecurity attacks, or what if the senior management were digitally fluent and they all knew something about cybersecurity and were acting on this earlier? So these are some of the skills that we think will impact the energy industry. And the final case and final profile is um, a person from the customer service world, right? starting at JP Morgan Chase, working in financial services, insurance, and moving to Amazon. Right? At Amazon, the philosophy is, hey, for every call that customers don't make to us, right, we will save money because we don't need to hire people to sit in a call center to pick up these calls. So Amazon designed a system where it's self-help. Right, so you think about vitality. It's about reducing burnout. Right, how can we reduce burnout by customer service operators who get countless numbers of calls by making our systems even smarter than they are? And then individuality is where it plays out. You know, Dan mentioned that he hasn't spoken to anyone on the phone. Right, um, artificial intelligence is one thing that they use. So before they, they, you even get to the operator, they already know what your request is about. Right, they have your phone number. They know what's the product you bought. And then using that data to, to help to find errors, right? So if you in a robotics company like um, iRobot, right? Apparently they know just by the number of calls that they get, like if there's a particular model which has a defect, right? And then they route this to the engineers to address this defect. Right? Think about what this does for your business in terms of saving costs and in improving your product so that you can sell more, more of it. Um, so uh, these are some of the trends that we're seeing across different roles. Of course, there could be you know, many more, right? But at a high level, we thought these would be some meaningful examples for you. Thanks, Grace. I think it, this is a great lead-in, you know, as, as we think about, um, you know, kind of closing out here for today and kind of leaving it for that, that food for thought, you know, as, as we go forward, you know, what are some of the industries shaping the future, undergoing the change and the, and the, the lack of the talent? I think that, you know, Grace, you did a great job, right, of, of articulating some of those um, high level uh, roles um, and what that looks like and what the journey looked like for those individuals. And really kind of highlighting, you know, as you think about the kind of those new skills that are needed, I think it's great that we have faculty and, and the business leaders on the line today and asking great questions, um, as well as the students thinking about, okay, how does this then really apply in the business, in the, in the business world, especially in today's world? You know, and then really asking that last question, how can I, how can I, my students maximize impact and, and equity? So really thinking um, about that as well. Dan, any, any last closing thoughts? Oh, thank you so much, Lisa and Grace. This has been spectacular. Grace, now those, those profiles, I understand those are real people, right? And these are the kinds of people that we'll be um, uh, talking about and, and actually bringing in throughout the series. Um, so we welcome everyone to come back and tell your friends about the kinds of conversations we'll have about these um, 
these jobs that are being created as we speak. Now, Grace also uh, began to answer Angus's question uh, quite uh, quite well, but I wonder, uh, Lisa, if you want to use the sort of the last word to um, to also address that question about um, how do we how do we introduce these horizontal capabilities at the school level? Um, just to, again, as a final word, I want to thank Grace uh, um, right now, and I'll thank you after Lisa and close the, the meeting. Absolutely, I think it's 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 making sure as you think about that relevance. It, for me, it's relevancy. Right, and understanding what that relevancy is in, in the marketplace and really begin to integrate it in. And so I think it's, it's these types of sessions, Dan, right, where we're talking and bringing the real, those real life examples to bear and understanding where we are today um, and, and really then being able to incorporate um, it in. I saw in the, in the chat as well that, you know, potentially students want the old marketing right, you know, programs versus they're wanting, um, uh, thinking about, you know, here's the new data, the new, what the new marketeer looks like for the future. And so, you know, it really actually brings to, to bear for me, Dan, when I think about this is, it's almost starting young back at the, uh, thinking about middle school and high schoolers, right, and and helping them also understand where we're, where is, where are we going in the world today as it relates to what those needs are going to be? And almost starting younger to be able to introduce what, what is data because it's here to stay and it's only going to improve. So, you know, as I think about that, I think about it, you know, multi, it's a multifaceted approach, right? It's thinking about, okay, how do we educate our, our even younger people right, around thinking about jobs for the future, but then also then incorporating that and staying well connected with businesses um, from a school perspective and faculty to stay relevant. Thank you so much, Lisa. And I'm going to see Grace in future sessions. I understand our next session is going to focus on mobility, and in particular, air mobility, which is going to be fascinating and how that's changing. Um, and uh, a session uh, after that on agricultural technology, which I think many of us, especially around the world, will find extremely important as we go. Grace, uh, Lisa, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us to have this conversation. And um, we look forward to uh, the, uh, well, seeing everyone at future sessions about the jobs that don't yet exist. Thanks so much to Dan, Grace, and Lisa for that illuminating conversation. Be sure to keep your eye on gbsn.org for further details on the next session in the series all about the jobs that don't yet exist. Until next time, take care. <laughs>